every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Patty Boyle, CMO at Distillery. Distillery is the leading custom audience solutions company, empowering brands and their agencies to maximize the value of customer data and to transform the way they connect with their audiences. Patty is a strategic marketing leader responsible for planning and driving results through growth plan development, team collaboration, client and partner relationships, and oversight of integrated marketing programs. On this episode, Patty shares her insights into why banding together is essential for success, how to build your relationship currency, and the innovation of data science and marketing. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals, buying intent, and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Patty Boyle and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a special guest. Patty, how are you? I'm doing great, Ian. How are you doing today? Excited to chat with you today about all things distillery. We're going to talk about third-party cookies and what's going on there and how y'all go to market at, at Distillery and much more. So let's get into it. How did you get started marketing in the first place? My actual first jobs during college were in aspects of marketing, TV promotion, broadcast journalism as a radio interviewer, a news writer, a content producer. So these were all 24-hour operations, as you can imagine, Ian, which were perfectly with my schedule. I was on a full academic scholarship, but I also had to support myself so I could get all the hours I could handle in a mix of those businesses. And, you know, I got to try out as a bonus different roles so I could help myself decide what to do in real life. So, you know, under the pressure of needing to get a real job, a couple of mentors of mine steered me to the ad agency business, where I spent the next 15 years primarily with J. Walter Thompson and FCB. So flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about your role at Distillery. Yeah, so as Chief Marketing Officer, my primary role is more around team leadership of our discipline-specific experts, all in the service of driving Distillery's growth. And that's growth through the brand profile, that's certainly revenue growth, customer growth, both at the agency level and with brand advertisers. And really, my role ultimately is to hire people that are much smarter than I am in each of our disciplines and clear the runway and ensure that our strategies are delivering. I'm there to initiate, to prioritize, and advise. I serve on Distillery's executive team. And so the voice of marketing and the voice of the customer is what comes to the forefront there. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given... You are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? 
This is where you go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest marketing secrets. Tell us a little bit about Distillery. What does Distillery do and who do you sell to? Distillery is, as we position ourselves, the custom audience solutions company. What that really means is that we use our unique AI-powered models to design custom audiences for brands and agencies to use in the most effective campaigns. And so think of it a bit like a chef in the best five-star restaurant you can find. The ingredients are there. Those who are expert in the field are there. So the talent is incredibly important and the leadership. But at the end of the day, what you want to make sure is it tastes great in the end. What we're all about is those custom audiences so the advertisers can really recognize their best results. And so what are the types of companies that you all sell to? Our heaviest users are in categories that you might expect to see, such as retail, finance, healthcare, travel. We're really proud of our ability to retain clients over time. So even though we don't have a subscription model, for example, or recurring revenue in the purest sense, our clients choose to work with distillery, choose to put their trust in our audiences and our people time and time again, so that that relationship currency develops and delivers the more we know and trust each other. And what does that buying committee look like when you're going to market? Yeah, so simply, if you envision hold co-agencies, right? So those are the WPPs, IPGs, Dentsus, Publicis agencies of the world. So underneath the hold co's are programmatic specific ad agencies. So these are places where it's separate from creative development and production. It's all about digital media. And so the decision makers in the agencies are those that lead and run the actual media campaigns and the media selection on behalf of their clients, the advertisers. In some cases, we do have brands who work with us directly. And those are the brands that have developed amazing in-house agencies. And so they develop, plan, buy, and measure their own digital media. They're working with us directly and with our platform partners. So yeah, it's kind of a mix there of a bunch of agencies, obviously, they work with, and you have some brands that you work with, kind of depending on where that programmatic buyer sort of sits. What's their title usually like? Yeah, so you get, let's say, a senior VP of programmatic media, or you'll get a VP of digital media. You might get a programmatic buyer. Data analytics and programmatic are sort of the conventional titles. And then on the brand side, ultimately, we're working for the CMO. And then the CMO is obviously making the selection up front, and their team is implementing. And what's your organizational structure to acquire those counts? How does marketing look? How does Yeah, look? so primary functions in our company, as you might imagine, everything we do is grounded in our data science. So the quality of our data science and how that data science has been celebrated is at the core. We want everything we do to become famous for the quality of our data science. We have an amazing chief data scientist, and she's been recognized from all of the industry, publications, events, agencies themselves. And so we're really, really proud of that. Our technical team, obviously, which is another large and incredibly important engine 
filled with experts in all disciplines, from cybersecurity to the back of the house actual engineering, the technical experts who make the business run. We have a go-to-market team, which is led by our president. And that team is also incredibly substantial and sizable. And it consists of client partners, aka sellers. And there's a whole team structure to that. We also have a dedicated client success team who ensures that all of the clients with whom we're actively working are uber satisfied with everything that we're doing and the experience that we're delivering. Marketing is a relatively small team, but mighty, (laughs) and a highly functional team. We have experts in digital media, in event planning, in PR, and in product marketing. As you might envision, they're all working very collaboratively with each other, and they're vested in each other's success. And I'm really, really proud of the way our team works and supports one another. And what does your marketing strategy look like? Do you have a, an official Patty strategy for marketing? Certainly not a Patty strategy, but I would say our strategy is actually quite unique. And what we're really proud to share is a three-part marketing mission. And so everything we do is inspired by, number one, raising distillery's brand profile. So becoming famous for the quality of our data science. Two, developing and distributing our thought leadership. And last but not least, three, account-based marketing, which is the foundation of our demand gen strategy. It allows us to speak to people where they are and to specialize the nature of our content. You have a new product that you've sort of announced. Is it a new product or is it just the new way of life in which we're all going to be cookie-less and have no third-party cookies? I know that you all launched this offering and it kind of signals this new normal that we're going to be moving into if we haven't already. Yeah, so it's a great question and you're touching exactly on the spirit of what we've invented and had patented. So it's for now, it's not for later or someday. It's in use by the largest agencies and brands is actually called ID Free Custom AI, proper name. And ID Free is patented. It's been proven effective across agencies and brands and for all types and sizes of individual advertisers. So we've also developed a healthcare and pharma specific solution known as custom patient targeting. Both are offering privacy friendly, compliant but yet precise and scalable digital targeting and delivering this today, (laughs) not simply building for someday. We talked a little before we got into this about Google and its plans for sunsetting cookies. We're kind of agnostic to what Google does. We've built these solutions because they're right for right now. Privacy is not a secret. It is the hottest topic both for advertisers and their clients. Mm-hmm. And they're clients' clients. <laughs> so it really, you know, serves and meets many needs well ahead of any point where it's forced to happen. We've developed it because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> and we've developed it because we have the talent and the expertise in-house to come up with a solution that's every bit as effective as cookie-based targeting. It does it without IDs at all. I'm so curious for the future because... It's just going to change so much stuff so quickly. It's very nerve-wracking, but it's also something that 
we saw the writing on the wall, companies like you said, hey, we're going to jump in and create something that can fill this void that's going to be a massive, massive void. Yes. And we're finding that there's an escalating interest in testing for those advertisers that would not ordinarily feel compelled to try Mm -hmm. this today. But by testing well ahead and testing even for now, because it's the right thing to do, they can find the effectiveness in these campaigns, prove out what our ID-free solutions are capable of delivering. And then they're set. They're set for today. They're set for tomorrow. And I know that our solutions will evolve and expand over time in the ID-free category. We've landed on a solution set that is not by our proclamation, but by the testimonial of others is comparable, if not better. It's on par with any of the current cookie-based solutions. Yeah. And so I'm curious, as you brought that out to market, like, what do you hear from the advertisers? And I know that some of that stuff is coming through the agency partners, but what is the prevailing feeling from advertisers, you know, over this new normal? Yeah. I mean, there are some, as you can imagine, that are setting their clocks and watching and waiting for Google's ultimate cookie deprecation. So there's a set of folks in that bucket. The more innovative ones, not just the early adopters, but those that just embrace the spirit of being ID-free and having no user information driving the bus, are exhibiting joy. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, they are grateful to have something that they can use now, whether it's test or actually employ, that just even in their own headsets as consumers rings the bell on privacy protection. And so if they can stand there at the end of the day and say, we are running campaigns that are ID free and accomplishing the campaign goals, that's a pretty awesome place to be. (laughs) I would say that the most important piece of the puzzle here for distilleries growth and to meet the industry's needs is that we're constantly out in front. We're constantly learning. We're constantly using data-driven examples to continue innovating and continue exhibiting that thought leadership. And I know that thought leadership is one of those jargony words, but until we find something better, everyone understands what it is to be a thought leader. And so importantly for us, we have in-house, nationally recognized, soon to be internationally recognized experts in data science who have shown their ability to achieve patentable, exclusive, innovative ideas and solutions. And that's really the heartbeat of what Distillery does. Yeah. I mean, to me, what I think a lot of marketers have this decision point right now, which is how many data scientists, how many data professionals are you going to leverage in your organization? How many are you going to hire? How many are you going to set up a center of excellence or something with the current data science team that you maybe already have at the company and partner with? Like That question, I think, is really fascinating. You have some marketers that are going super deep into developing their own capacities, their in-house capacities for that. Other folks that are using partners for that. Other folks obviously using a hybrid of both, which is probably going to be what a lot of people do. So anyways, I just think it's a really interesting kind of moment in time where everyone knows that their data, their customer data, third-party 
property data. All this stuff is so critical to how they go to market and their ad campaigns. And in B2B, we talked about with our amazing sponsor, Qualified, just how much data your website is creating and how many interactions and stuff like that. So there's just so much there right now. And it's really, really expensive to hire data science people well, and data the best ones, Yes, for sure. And it's interesting to me because, again, our chief data scientist is a rock star, full stop. And her background is just incredible. But it's also, there's something about our culture that allows the data science leaders and the go-to-market leaders and sellers and the marketing professionals and the product developers to all band together understanding your background, I can appreciate how the banding together is essential for success. Because if everybody's not marching in the same direction and you don't have alignment and you don't have a shared vision for innovation, for constant continuous learning, you have a very average company in that scenario. And average companies are going nowhere in this new normal. You have to be, regardless of size or nature or the age of the company, you have to be a proven, recognized innovator with a healthy, open culture that brings the right people in. So the voice of our customer, for example, is an essential ingredient in everything we do. And not just one and done, but over the long haul. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items for distillery? So, first and foremost, uncuttable budget. And I think of budget as a holistic one. It's our people. Our people are our highest value resource. And so we've got a super collaborative team. Every one of them, they're an essential member of the team. It doesn't work without any single one of them. There are, I suppose this is the second uncuttable item. There are partners that we work with. So they're external experts in a short list of key disciplines, including global research. We have an awesome relationship with Forrester, for example, web design and digital branding and PR. Third is probably the value of our events, whether that's virtual or in-person. I'm partial to the in-person stuff for sure. There's no other tactic in our marketing toolkit that enables that level of connection, that level of learning and relationship currency. And that's never been more important than it is today. So people, partners, events. Let's spend a little bit of time on on talking partners. Like, How do you think about investing your money, choosing partners? What are the like hot priorities for you in finding a partner and why? So as with any company, there are kind of legacy partners with whom we're working, and we have a deep relationship there. There are newer partners that personally my team and I probably feel more glued to because we've had a hand and a voice in selecting them. But whether they're long-term or more recent, the notion is that we have killer expertise internally, but there are some situations, and PR would be one of them, where it's more important to have outside, wide lens 
macro industry experience and connections and not simply be reliant on internal distillery resources. Because how else do you get the impact and the positive, true evidence-based feedback and resources if you don't go outside the walls of the company? And so the three that I mentioned earlier, global research, primary research specifically, web design and digital branding, and PR are the most critical in terms of resources that we can rely on as sort of our outsourced marketing team. And they also contribute to and support our other teams as needed. PR is every bit as essential to support our data science team and the visibility of the innovations that they produce as it is to support our product team and put the spotlight on all the breakthroughs that are happening there. So while marketing, quote unquote, owns the relationships, we own them to expand our own bandwidth, but importantly, to constantly be fueled by what the market is telling us, what our customers are telling us, and what they're hearing, importantly, from competitors. Yeah. Do you have a favorite campaign that you've ran over the past year or so? So less about campaigns and more about a combination of events and honors. So we talked a little bit earlier about being recognized as a top AI provider, having our chief data scientist being recognized as one of the ad ages 40 under 40, and being the only data science leader in that 40, right? Because so many of them are recognized in account management and creative. So we're really proud of that. We're a co-sponsor at Cannes this year. And that is an example of an incredibly vital relationship currency firepower. So not only being on the ground and being active sponsors, but being where the industry leaders are, putting ourselves in the environment where we're able to learn and connect and equally able to get the word out of all the cool things that we're doing. I would put that experience as more of an example of marketing strategies we've employed that allow us to get a, a next level level of recognition. Yeah, so I'm curious, the honors piece is not something we typically talk about a ton on the show. So it's something I'd love to zoom in a little bit on. Is it as simple as be in the places where your customers care about, right? Like we know agencies care about honors a ton. We know it's a huge differentiator for them as people are trying to select which agency to go with and things like that. In the B2B world, not necessarily usually is popular. Obviously there's words. We've won an award for the show. Uh -huh. So clearly <laughs> when we won our Finney last year, it was a very exciting time for us on the podcast. Sure. And it always feels good to win an award, right? But I'm curious, is this as simple as be where your customers are and do the things that they care about? That's certainly part of it. Perhaps the more interesting part is employing a wide lens and thinking about all of the aspects of what we're offering as a company across multiple constituencies so that you paint a portrait, a more rounded view of the expertise that we have in-house and the leaders that are making it happen. So as an example, on one end of the continuum, being recognized for the quality of our data science is amazing and essential unto itself. Another example might be getting the spotlight, for example, on our 
ability to deliver a level of client feedback, actual testimonials, actual firsthand accounts using services like G2, for example, where we're getting firsthand voluntary feedback. And that unto itself, while not an award per se, is recognition from the market. And they're two very different things, but they're equally important as part of a portfolio of recognition that we value. And so when you go to a place like Cannes, what's the type of engagement that you're looking at? Are you sending salespeople? Are you sending your data scientists to have those type of conversations? Are you going and rubbing elbows? Also a great question. This year was my first year being part of that. And I frankly didn't know what to expect. We sent a foursome, myself included, of the true leaders of the company. Not all of them chose to go. Not all of them felt like that was a relevant space for them. But our CEO, our president, our head of business development strategy, you know, they all completely engaged end to end. We weren't, you know, closing the bars. <laughs> whipping it up in the majestic. We were instead kind of following an intentional path of setting up the right meetings and mini events along the way with partners and the leaders of companies that we care about. So whether it was meeting with Adweek or meeting with a senior leader at Publicis, we were there to learn and exchange thinking and generate ideas and experience what others in the industry both need and want and are also creating for the future. Yeah, I love that. That's really cool. So funny how uh, events are so fuzzy in some ways and just being around people and having conversations is ultimately the most important thing that we we always learn about that all of the dark funnel activities that happen and all of the investigations and all that sort of stuff and a lot of that can be dissuaded by a 30 minute conversation over a nice beverage whatever yeah i mean there's no substitute for in person we've found that from the day we could get back out there <laughs> And the minute that we could get back out there and reopen the office, we did it and we did it with zeal. It serves us beautifully because people are still in work from anywhere mode. And that's our new model. But we also have a home base at 32nd and Park Avenue South where we can go and know that we can gather as a company and experience the culture that we love so much in person. Same with events. Do you have a most cuttable budget item or maybe something that you've invested in the past that you're not going to be investing in in the future? Yes. Yes, I do. It's the four-letter word known as swag. (laughs) I'm saying that in a cheeky, half-joking way. What I really mean is that other than deciding, you know, where the distillery logo goes and maybe the quality of the fabric, marketing has no value to contribute to swag. As a company, we have charitable interests. We have a string of volunteer activities that we're committed to. We have offsites for various teams that, you know, allow us all to be together somewhere else and in multiple locations so that it rotates and we kind of share the travel. But yeah, the the swag line item is one I can live without. 
That's so funny. We have we've had people on the show say that swag is it, uncuttable for them. That they go the full opposite direction. Trust me, it's it's still you know a vital, incredibly desirable line item, but it can be a line item in somebody that. else's budget. Okay, let's get to our next segment: the dust up. Uh oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. So where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales teams, your competitor, or anyone else, have you had a memorable dust-up in your career, Patty? So first it should be said, that's not really how I roll. (laughs) So it's unusual that anyone in any situation can really get me that whipped up that having said that it's not never. (laughs) And so in the few memorable ones that I've experienced, I've always regretted participating. I always wished I had just deflected and moved on or introduced positive options to make it not so binary. It's not yes or no, your opinion or mine. How about if we also think about it in this way? Yeah, I've found myself in trouble spots for sure. And they're always with major leaders in the company. I'm not picking on someone in another team or another group or whatever. It's usually a fiery debate about taking a position that is probably in the end not even worth it. I'd much rather have a controlled, we all play by the same rules, proactive discussion that's oriented to a mutually acceptable solution. My experience at Distillery, though, is that it's done in an extremely healthy way. Let's get to our final segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline faster. You can go to qualified.com to learn more. We love them dearly. They've been with us since the first episode of the show. You can tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Patty, quick hits. Are you ready? Ready. Number one, what is a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? I'm a proud mother of five, (laughs) which I don't widely share. I'm very proud of it. Earlier in my career, that was not a popular data point (laughs) to put out there. (laughs) Well, it's popular here on on Demand Gen Visionaries. That's for sure. That's pretty darn rad. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, or TV show that you've been checking out recently? I'm completely drawn in by Peaky Blinders. I have to look away from the TV half the time. There's a lot of stuff going on that doesn't really work for me, but I'm still magnetically attracted to the players and the storyline. Guilty pleasure, I guess. There's a funny meme that's going around. It's like the worst time ever for barbers was when that show first came out because everyone wanted the haircuts. And they all afterwards, they're like, uh, I think I look horrible. Um, <laughs> yes. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that maybe sort of indirectly makes you a better marketer? I'm a professor at Temple University and an instructional coach at University of Pennsylvania. And maybe the way that makes my practice better, I'm really interested in 
the reciprocal relationship between learning from my own students to then carrying that learning back into my practice. What would be your best advice for a first-time CMO trying to figure out their marketing strategy? Yeah, so first and foremost, I'd want to learn about their vision, their vision for what marketing is set to accomplish in their own organization. And then in terms of the team's contribution to company growth and value, what's expected from marketing? Because we've all seen in one company to another, quote unquote, marketing serves a different purpose and has different expectations. And so I'd like to learn more before being prescriptive about how they view elements like competitive intelligence and target market personas and industry trends. Because again, as I mentioned earlier, the members of my team are the discipline-specific experts. And my role is more to orchestrate, to support, to inspire, and ultimately, yes, to make the decisions and provide the advice that's needed for our company's growth. Patty, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks cool. so much for joining. For our listeners, go to distillery.com to learn more. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? We talked a bit about our cookie-less solutions. So without beating the same drum, I would just want to add that the pride we take in innovation and being thought leaders is kind of the cultural glue that holds all of our people and all of our new product solutions together. And so it's that spirit and that vision of the future that trumps everything. I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. I am so excited to have been part of this. Thanks so much. Mangen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.